Hello, this is Pastor Trent. I want to welcome you to the Mountain Home Church, the Nazarene Sermon Podcast. We are thrilled that you are tuning in to hear sermons from our ministries here at our church. It is our hope that the Spirit of Christ would be present with you as you listen today. I do want to take just a moment to invite you to reach out and connect with us. On our website, we have a way for you to do just that. You can visit www.mhnazarene.org slash connect and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. I always like to just take an opportunity to to thank you guys as a congregation and just the Church of the Nazarene for um, allowing women to be ministers. Uh, You all know that I was on a long journey to be ordained, and I was ordained a few months ago. And yeah, yeah, thanks. (laughs) You guys made me feel super celebrated and loved. um, And and I just always enjoy the opportunity to be able to to preach God's word to you um, on Sunday mornings. And so... um, while, while Trent is away, we get to, Debbie and I get to fill the pulpit, so, so it's, <laughs> it's a lot of fun, and so thank you for supporting us in this way. Um, but I wanted to start this morning with a little bit of audience participation. I won't make you like stand up or do jumping jacks or anything, um, but because I work primarily with teens, this is what we do. We'll, we'll discuss things, I'll ask a question, and they respond, right? Um, and we engage in some dialogue. And so I have a very important question that I want you guys to answer. You don't have to raise your hands, you can just shout out your answer. Um, here's my question. Why is food important? You're hungry. Louder. Sustains us. Soul food. Yes. Mac and cheese and fried chicken. That's my soul food. Anything else? Why is food important? Can't live without it. Yep, yep, that's true. That's true. Nice. Did I hear another one over here? What? What? To grow, yeah, we need it. Our bodies need that to sustain us and to keep us alive, right? Those are all great answers. I sensed a common theme among some of the answers that it, we need it to sustain us, right? We need it to live. We need it to grow. Um, well, the passage of scripture that we're looking at today has to do with food. Yay! I've preached a handful of sermons about food, and they're typically my favorite because, you know, food is good. Food is my favorite. Um, I understand food metaphors. I just, they click with me. Um, But today's has got to be the most challenging one so far, and you'll see why. Um, So out of reverence for the reading of God's word, uh, would you stand as you are willing and able to hear the Holy Scripture this morning? Um, I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 24 through 35, and I'm reading from the Common English Bible. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and came to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I assure you that you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate all the food you wanted. Don't work for the food that doesn't last, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the human one will give you. God the Father has confirmed him as his agent to give life. And they asked, what must we do to or- in order to accomplish what God requires? 
And Jesus replied, this is what God requires, that you believe in him whom God sent. And they asked, what miraculous sign will you do that we can see and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus told them, I assure you, it wasn't Moses who gave the bread from heaven to you, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is the one, um, the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, Sir, give us this bread all the time. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the word of the Lord given to us, the people of God. Awesome. You may be seated. So when the crowd saw that neither... Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, this, is the, this is the gospel passage uh, from the lectionary uh, this week. And if you don't know what the lectionary is, we, we, we use it here pretty often. It's basically scripture laid out in like a three-year pattern, Right? Um, that many preachers use as their, uh, their preaching calendar. Um, we use it fairly regularly here, unless we decide to do a series, like we just finished up Jonah a couple weeks ago. Um, and it's typically really useful. Uh, so I thought to myself, yeah, I'll use the lectionary passage this week, which will eliminate the need for me to pick a passage to preach on. It'll be great. It's just right there. It's already chosen for me. Well, upon reading the gospel passage, the one that I just read for us, um, I thought, sure, I can preach about food, no problem. But as I began to prepare and pray and think and write this week, I got more and more lost and somewhat discouraged um, by this passage. I just kept asking God, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to say, Lord, um, to your body this morning? You see, the word of God is so, so good. Sometimes it's so, so difficult and complex. Um, and I would argue that the Gospel of John is particularly difficult due to its philosophical nature. Uh, but I decided I was up for the challenge, and I figured you guys would be as well. Um, so here we go. There's a lot to uh, digest in this passage, if you will. Um, as always, context is really important uh, for any text that we read, and the scriptures are no exception, right? If we had been following the lectionary for the last several weeks, we would have known that the crowd mentioned here in this passage today is the same crowd which just hours before was fed miraculously by Jesus, um, right? Who took five measly loaves of bread and two fish um, and turned it into a feast for 5,000 people. Um, and even then, 5,000 is just referring to the men. There was probably 10,000 there, including the women and children. Um, now, if Jesus could do that with my coffee, coffee every day, I would be one happy caffeinated pastor. <laughs> See, when the crowd saw, um, in verses 24 and 25, when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and came to Capernaum looking for Jesus. And what did they ask? Rabbi, when did you get here? So here's kind of what I imagine the scene was like. Imagine it with me. Um, this massive crowd of people, they were fed until their bellies were full, um, plus there were leftovers, right? And if, you're, if they were anything like me, they needed a post-meal nap. You know, like when your belly gets full and it's nice and warm, you just want to take a nap, right? Um, so they fell asleep. They all fell asleep, took a little nap. It was nighttime, so they probably slept through the night. Um, besides, 
uh, a few that wanted to talk to Jesus about being their king. And when they all wake up, they just realize that Jesus, is, Jesus and the disciples are gone, and they immediately go searching for him, right? They're like, oh, no, where did the guy go that gave us food? Like, we need to keep this guy around. Um, I imagine it felt a lot like sleeping through an alarm and then waking up in a panic, right? How many of you have done this? Yeah, sleeping through your alarm. Yeah, I did it many of times in college, so a lot of fun. But this crowd has just seen this wondrous sign from Jesus. Verse 14 of this same chapter says, When the people saw that he had done a miraculous sign, they said, This is truly the prophet who is coming into the world. And then my paraphrase, this guy would make a really great king. I mean, he offers an all-you-can-eat buffet. And then what did Jesus do in response to this? He hid, like every good introvert, because he knew that these people were going to force him to be their king if he stuck around. And this is more proof for one of my running theories that Jesus is an introvert, but I digress. Uh, So the crowd finds Jesus, and what do they ask him? Rabbi, when did you get here? And instead of answering their question, and Jesus does this several times, right? He goes straight to the heart of the issue in the passage, which seems to be the crowd's misunderstanding, or at least their misguided intentions for why they're looking for Jesus. You see, Jesus replied, I assure you that you're not looking for me because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate all the food you wanted. Don't work for the food that doesn't last, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the human one will give you. God the Father has confirmed him as the agent to give life. You see, Jesus is often pretty blunt in his responses, and I kind of love it, but then I also have to recognize that I kind of identify with the crowd too, so (laughs) there's that. Uh, But the crowd was just fed, right? And now it's been several hours, so they're probably hungry again. And so, of course, who do they go looking for? They go looking for the source of their sustenance, who was Jesus. But what Jesus is doing here is is very intentional. He's trying to guide this crowd of people, their mindset, and shift it to help them understand that what happened wasn't just a physical sign. It wasn't just a physical miracle, but it was a spiritual one, right? Um, Jesus so deeply wants this group of people to see him as the source of their spiritual sustenance, not just somebody who can feed them a sandwich, though that's a plus. So what does Jesus do? He uses a metaphor, like he often does, uh, typical of Jesus. And he takes a metaphor, something typical that is recognizable, to hopefully help his listeners understand. And so he takes this common thing, bread, right, a loaf of bread, uh, and he attaches to it this depth and this meaning that goes beyond just surface-level stuff. But like we read in the text, those who are listening, this crowd, they're surface-level people. And if we're totally honest, if I'm totally honest, maybe we fall into that category as well. Um, I had to laugh when I read something this week regarding this passage specifically. Uh, A writer whom I particularly enjoy, William Willimon, it's a fun name, um, he wrote, this crowd hears hears Jesus talking about bread, and they immediately assume he's talking about grub. I mean, if I'm honest, if somebody uses bread as a metaphor for something else, I'm going to imagine olive garden breadsticks or freshly baked homemade bread. And my mouth is going to water. Like, that's what I'm going to think about. I know I'm not the only one in here. 
unless you're gluten-free. Well, I guess you can eat gluten-free bread, but. See, that same author, William Willimon, he wrote in the same excerpt that Jesus is more difficult to comprehend than he ought to be. Jesus is more difficult to comprehend than he ought to be. And I had never really thought about that. Um, I don't know about you, but I think I have to agree with William Willimon, at least sometimes, because sometimes I don't understand Jesus. Like this week, as I was preparing this sermon, I was like, what do you want me to say? And maybe it's because I'm stuck at this, this surface level that this crowd is kind of stuck at, just thinking about bread as food that I can put in my mouth. Or maybe it's because I'm not actually listening. Um, I'm hearing what Jesus is saying, but I'm not listening. Or maybe, just maybe, I'm too afraid of the transformation that is required when I actually take the, under, the, take the time to understand what Jesus is trying to say. And we'll talk about this more in a minute. But if you'll humor me for a minute, uh, I have a small rabbit trail that I'd like to take for a second. Um, I don't actually believe that we're supposed to understand Jesus all the time. Uh, I don't believe that we will have all the answers, nor do I believe that God intends for us to have all the answers, right? But I do believe that when we seek to understand, when we participate in what Jesus is doing, we will experience the transformation that leads to holiness and sanctification. That was free. Now back to my original sermon. Um, the crowd asked Jesus a, a question, right? And this time, it's a little bit better of a question. You know how people say there's no such thing as stupid questions? Well, this crowd and Jesus' disciples sometimes really push the envelope. Um, they asked, what must we do in order to accomplish what God requires? So they're on the right track. Now they're, they're asking God some questions like, what do, what do we have to do? What should our response be? And I think Jesus' answer, which is actually quite simple, has much more meaning than the crowd and perhaps we actually realize. This is Jesus' answer. This is what God requires, that you believe in him whom God sent. So now Jesus is talking in the third person, and you know things are getting serious when somebody talks in the third person. But as readers, us, the congregation, who are far removed from the specific context when this was written, right, we know that Jesus is speaking of himself, right? Um, that we know that when Jesus said that you believe in him whom God sent, he's talking about himself, right? We know that Jesus is the one whom God sent. It's like dramatic irony. Anyone here who is into drama or reading, uh, you know that sometimes there are things that we know as the readers and the audience that the characters in the story don't really know, right? Um, I feel like this is the case in a lot of biblical stories uh, that we read, especially ones like this where Jesus is describing himself to somebody else in hopes that they will pick up on what he's putting down, right? And so I read this story, um, and I'm like, I have to realize, oh, this crowd didn't necessarily understand that Jesus was talking about himself. One other example of this is the story of the woman at the well, right? We, in the 21st century, know that when scripture mentions living water, that it is referring to Jesus, right? But the woman at the well didn't know that the living water was standing right in front of her. She just really wanted this living water. And I mention this dramatic irony because I sometimes read scripture 
um, particularly the Gospels and specifically when it comes to some of the disciples and these crowds. And I think to myself, how can somebody have such a thick skull? But then I realized that we have somewhat of an advantage uh, over the characters in these stories that we read of in Scripture, right? We've got years and years of combined reading and study and comprehension and interpretation. Another realization I had, perhaps especially this week as I prepared my sermon, is that I too have a thick skull sometimes. Um, And so maybe I ought to give this crowd some more credit. But back to Jesus' answer. He says, this is what God requires, that you believe in him whom God sent. Now, if this was the only tidbit of scripture that we had access to, just this question and answer, then accomplishing what God requires would be pretty simple, right? We make the decision in our minds to believe in Jesus. Done. You're in the fold of God, and you have nothing to worry about. All of us in this room and so many around the world would be covered. Say you believe in Jesus, and you're in. However, we have a whole canon of scripture, this whole book, um, and a history of people, the history of the people of God. And so we know that if we read more than just John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29, that belief, this idea of belief goes a whole lot further than simply making the decision to believe in Jesus and just saying so. See, as a church that falls under this Wesleyan umbrella, we, we preach and teach and aim to practice holiness because we believe that this is what Jesus models for us and what we should strive toward in our lives since we're created in God's image. John Wesley was big on belief, on orthodoxy, which means right belief, but he took the call of Christianity a step further um, and claimed that orthodoxy is meaningless without orthopraxy. Now, he didn't use that word, but what it means is right practice, right? And so I mentioned John Wesley, not just because our doctrine and theology is influenced by him, but because I believe what he was on to with this idea of orthodoxy and orthopraxy is particularly biblical. Here's this explanation that I found this week. John Wesley affirmed the orthodoxy of the creeds of the church. He also affirmed, adopted, and practiced what has come to be called in the 20th century orthopraxy, which is to say that he recognized that certain actions are necessary if one is to consider oneself a Christian. These actions he termed the works of piety, such as taking the sacraments, attending worship, praying, and searching the scriptures, and the works of mercy, such as visiting those that are in prison, feeding the poor, and clothing the naked. So it's easy to hear something like this and and think that when we become Christian, we receive this, this checklist of things we have to do to maintain our salvation, right? Um, but that's not it at all, church. As a holiness people, we believe that as we grow in grace, as we go deeper in our relationship with Jesus, we naturally respond by participating in the work of the kingdom. We become kingdom participants. And so I read something else this week that was too good not to share. In one of the commentaries, it said that John 6 stresses the importance of human participation in discipleship. Saving faith is a product of both human responsibility and divine initiative. 
human responsibility, and divine initiative. So God initiates this relationship, right? Initiates, initiates this relationship with us through the Holy Spirit. I mean, technically, God initiated that relationship when humans entered the picture to begin with, right? Um, and in an act of love, God not only offered humanity the freedom to choose him, but came to us in human form to die on our behalf and be raised again. That's pretty epic. I kind of feel like this sermon is like a bunch of mini-sermons tied into one, so thanks for sticking with me. Um, but I mentioned before that there is sometimes this lingering fear within me, in my heart and in my mind, and perhaps you can identify with this, that when I lean into this belief, when I truly seek to understand Jesus and lean into what it means to be a disciple, I'm going to have to change some things. Transformation will occur, and that's kind of a scary thing sometimes. But here's our hope for today. Church, what I believe God wanted me to hear from our text, and what I believe we all need to hear, comes directly from the passage. Verse 35, when Jesus replied to the crowd, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Quick little side note, one of my professors uh, in college, Stephen Riley, he taught us as his students several rules for reading when it comes to reading scripture. And one of those rules is always pay attention to repetition. Jesus said, whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And so he uses this word never twice, right? And that basically means that Jesus is being super serious and we need to pay attention. Um, these words are emphatic in, in, the, in the text, meaning that the one who truly believes will truly never, ever be hungry or thirsty. But of course, that went over his listeners' heads. You see, after Jesus answered the crowd's question about what it takes to accomplish what God requires, what did they do? They went directly back to what they could see with their eyes. And they asked what miraculous sign will you do, Jesus, that we can see and believe you? What will you do? You see, they were asking, at least I'm convinced, and maybe Jesus was too, um, that they were asking the wrong questions, looking for the wrong kind of proof from Jesus. And we know this because, because of Jesus' response, right? He says, I assure you, it wasn't Moses who gave the bread from heaven to you, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus is giving them the answer. He's literally answering their question with what they need, but perhaps it wasn't the answer that they wanted. And so it goes right over their heads, right? In one ear and out the other. And then they let their stomachs speak for them and say, Sir, give us this bread all the time. They're like, this bread sounds really good. Now, I want to believe that the crowd is sort of starting to understand. Um, they're desiring to have this bread, which is a good first step. But they're still not getting that the bread is literally the person who's speaking to them. So instead of answering their question of, what will you do, Jesus? He answers the question that they should have asked. Who are you? This is what he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, 
and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Church, I wonder how often we ask the wrong questions. When we don't understand Jesus, when we aren't comprehending something like we want or getting the answers that we desire, what question are we asking of Jesus? Is it, what will you do, Jesus? Or, who are you? For anyone who has known Jesus for a long time, perhaps the better version of this question is, who do I know you to be? See, as humans, we've learned the art of using things and people for what they can do for us, right? So it's no surprise that we sometimes do the same thing when we're talking about Jesus. What can Jesus do for me to make my life better? What can Jesus do to get me out of this mess of a situation? What can Jesus do to help me win this argument or this debate? Humans have been asking these questions since the beginning of humanity. And don't get me wrong, Jesus can do immeasurably more for us than we can ask or imagine, right? We know this from scripture. But let me assure you that Jesus has already done for us all that really needs to be done. He came, he lived, he died, and he rose again so that we might have life and life abundant. If we truly believe that this is what Jesus did, then the question, what will you do, becomes unnecessary. We know what Jesus will do because we know who Jesus is. He is the bread of life, our sustainer, and so much more. See, God has given the world all it truly needs to sustain life, now and forever, and that is the life and death of Jesus. I'm going to invite the praise team to come back up here Um, And as we prepare to sing together in response to what we've heard from God's word, I want to mention one final thing. When we think about literal bread, which in this text is referring to food in general, right? We know that it does what? It fills our tummies. It keeps us alive and it helps us grow. But just like we can't eat bread just one time and survive for the rest of our lives, As Christians, we don't survive by just a one-time belief. It is the continual ingestion and nourishment, if you will, on a daily basis of God's word. And how do we maintain this steady diet? It's by ongoing fellowship and communion, service, worship, prayer, all of those things that we're called to as disciples of Christ as a response to the love that was first shown to us. Father, thank you for your word this morning, for the truth that you have spoken, um, if not to anyone else, then to me, <laughs> that, that sometimes uh, I ask the wrong questions. Sometimes I approach you and ask what you can do for me instead of approaching you, knowing that you're going to do what you're going to do because it's who you are. Lord, you are good, you are faithful, You are love, you are compassion, you are mercy. The list goes on and on. But God, would you help us to lean into this this question of who are you um, instead of focusing on what you can do for us. Lord, because what you've done for us is is far more than we can ask or imagine. Um, 
Lord, as we respond this morning in song, may we just hear your spirit, hear your voice, um, teaching us something today. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today on the Mountain Home Church the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us and have a great week.